1: Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay.
2: I'm Irina. And with us today, we have Chris Short, who, um, he's been listening to us talk about movies for, I don't know how long, but, um, he is one of my favorite people to do theater with, um, one of my favorite people to perform with. He's kind of like my brother. I also like to beat him up backstage. It's great. Um, but I kind of talked to Chris about being on our show and I tossed a couple of movies out there and, um, you picked this one, but we'll get to the, that. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Chris?
0: Who, me? Uh, well, as you've heard, my name is Chris. I love watching movies. I love watching crap movies. I don't know how many crap movies I've watched in my time. Um, but I've I've always, I was a longtime listener, first time caller. I've always really enjoyed talking shit about movies, too. You know, whenever you get a chance. Um, but been doing theater for years um, in your region as uh, Craig Ferguson would probably say but uh, yeah just having fun a little bit bored these days so I was really stoked when you uh kind of extended your hand to me and said, hey, let's let's do something. Let's get together and talk about some movies. So this episode, we are reviewing Event Horizon, starring
1: Lawrence Fishburne, Sam Neill, Kathleen Quinlan and Jolie Richardson, directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, released in 1997 on a 60 million dollar budget, grossed 26 million dollars at the box office. And Paul W.S. Anderson to this day says this is his favorite thing he's ever done which that's a laundry list of all manner of sci-fi horror garbage that we've talked about on this show previously in some installments. But he also likes to talk about how like the studio really pressured him and he didn't have enough time to put it together and there's lost footage on a bathroom floor somewhere or some bullshit. But the truth of the matter is, this is his cut, this is his vision, and I just got to know, of all the things Irina pitched to you, Chris, why you picked this one.
0: Oh, man, Event Horizon. I've got so many crazy memories. Like as I grew up watching horror films, right? Four years old, my mom's got me on the couch watching The Exorcist. Like, seriously, every year it was religion. We had to watch The Exorcist. Scared the shit out of me. Head behind her back between, you know, the couch pillow and <laughs> her back. Like, oh, my God, what is it? Can I have some pea soup? Um, but this movie, for some reason, <laughs> stuck with me. It stuck with me as one of the movies that just absolutely scared the shit out of me. And when it came out in 97, it wasn't like I was 8, nine, ten years old, right? I was fresh out of high school. <laughs> and still the movie was one of those things that just absolutely stuck with me. I love science fiction. I love horror. Great mashup. Great cast. And it just blew my fucking mind.
1: <clears throat> yeah, you have everything to have a massive hit here. You got Lawrence Fishburne at the height of his cheesy powers where he's just chewing up scenery in every movie way over intense. He's still playing furious styles. Uh, you know, all these years later, you got Sam Neill who always plays the doctor of exposition. Cause he's got to explain what the fuck's going on. Cause nobody else knows. <laughs> and then you've got all these other people. Kathleen Quinlan was still riding the wave off of being Apollo 13. But sadly, as yes, it is for actresses over 35 in Hollywood. She's always somebody's wife or somebody's you know long lost mother or whatever. Then you have Jolie Richardson, who is legit a crazy person in her own right, <laughs> and and this is before she did the dreadful thing known as Nip Tuck. But this was kind of her rise up. You know, she's part of of again movie royalty herself, and you've got a ton of other people. Jason Isaacs is in this; he's just a great character actor. You've seen him in a hundred things. Uh, you know, lots of fun people. In, in this movie, and again, you've got Paul W.S. Anderson, who I knock on him a little bit because he did Alien versus Predator and all that. But, I mean, you know, the guy gets handed stuff that seems like it would be a good video game or maybe something like 15-year-olds argue about in the playground or something. And But he makes these movies that are these huge spectacles. And in 1997, we're at the bridge of... Practical effects and CGI still living together in harmony before CGI completely swallows all of it up. And you've got everything to make it work. And I went and saw this in the theaters. I remember going with my buddies in college and watching this and thinking, okay, fun popcorn movie. Didn't think anything else about it. And it's been years since I went back and revisited this because it, it had to have been over a decade since I've seen it. So, Irina, what about you and Event Horizon?
2: I do have to confess that I watch this movie at least once a year. Um, because it scares the ever-living fuck out of me, but makes me giggle at the same time. Um, You'll hear me mention whenever we review a horror movie, I refer to my high school best friend, Zach, who introduced me to every single horror movie I've ever seen, um, you know, before I graduated high school. And he would and he was a big guy in high school. And he would literally sit on my lap and hold my hands and make me watch horror movies. But this is another one that he said, hey, I, I got another one. I was like, Oh, God, we just watched all of Texas Chainsaw Massacre the past two weeks. Like, really, you got another one for me to watch now. And this is like, it's it, it's one of my uh guilty pleasures. It's right up there with cube. Um, which if you haven't seen that one, we should go back and recap that one. Um, but it just it was one of those that made me cover my face but like peek through my hands through the entire thing and um one I haven't forgotten. <laughs>
1: That is, it's cool to find something that all of us have seen and have some background with. And I, like you, Chris, grew up watching horror movies. I mean, I watched Halloween. My grandmother was a sucker for like the old Hitchcock movies and Twilight <coughs> Zone and all that. So I'd go over to her house and watch those. And she was the person that took me to see Friday the 13th, six in theaters. And, you know, so I, I grew up around this kind of stuff, too. And I can't say enough how much... Alien and Aliens had an influence on movies for decades afterward. And this movie in particular really borrows a lot from Alien. And that's a huge movie for me. I actually rewatched Alien before I watched this one again, because I had memories that there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that crosses over between them and it wasn't wrong. And we'll try to call those out as we go through. But yeah, (laughs) this one definitely hits. It should hit the sweet spot. I'm still blown away that it absolutely flopped at the box office. And the only thing I can attribute that to is in the late nineties cinema was all about these auteurs and Tarantino and Kevin Smith. And we were doing these kind of independent different films and these big blockbuster horror action movies just weren't the thing people were going for at the time.
2: No, everybody was going for some like teen story or something like that. They were like harkening back to the eighties with their movies. So this one was completely out of the box for where everybody was at that time period. For
0: me, in the in the late '90s, when it came to horror films, what was it that was really popular was what was it the Scream yeah. series that just started mm. to come out. So it was parody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. Wes Craven was was reinventing everything, coming back around after what was it uh, Freddy Freddy's Revenge? I can't remember the name of that
1: new like, night really. But the, the one that was meta, yeah, so, yeah, yeah.
0: So it was either that or like Braveheart.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you had that, you had the, the hugely overblown biopic, or again, you had Clerks. Or you're chasing Amy or something (laughs) like that. So, well, Irina, since you're the big, big fan of this one, I'm going to throw it to you. Give us a plot summary. Tell everybody what happens in Event Horizon.
2: In the year 2047, the spacecraft, Lewis and Clark, is dispatched to investigate a distress signal sent from the Event Horizon, a ship that disappeared during its maiden voyage around the planet Neptune. The Event Horizon's backstory, slowly sussed out by the Lewis and Clark's unfortunate rescue posse, is that the Seven Years Gone vessel has passed through hell, or a hell-like place, instead of reaching its intended intergalactic destination back to 2047. The crew boards the spacecraft, finding evidence of a massacre, and their own ship is damaged when the Event Horizon's gravity drive suddenly engages. The crew deduce that the Event Horizon and its crew traveled through a portal to a hell dimension, and the ship is now sentient, causing manifestations based on the individual fears of each crew member. The scenes that feature the missing Event Horizon's crew's eerie final audio transmission, later revealed to have an audio component directed a la Hieronis Bosch, complete with an orgiastic display of violence, flesh-ripping, eye-gouging. There's a lot of bloody horror in this movie, and eyeballs get the worst of it. And rantings in Latin, the international dead language of panic and doom, are genuinely unsettling. They encounter all manner of evil spirits, manifestations. Several are killed or possessed until the captain finally detonates explosives allowing a few crew members to escape in the forward part of the ship while the back half is transported back through a black hole. The surviving crew go into stasis awaiting rescue and are still haunted by nightmares of what they saw as credits roll. And I had to throw this quote in here because I felt like it was so applicable and I really wanted to be able to say some of these words. The year is 2047, the place is Neptune's orbit, and the psychological mindfuck factor is off the charts for the rescue crew aboard the Lewis and Clark. The film Event Horizon, named for a long-lost spaceship which has maybe been to hell and back, and it's one of the most underrated space horror flicks Ever. So that quote I found on All the Reasons Why Event Horizon is a Hell of a Good Time on Gizmodo.
1: Very cool. Gizmodo's a fun site, or it can be. I want to ask y'all one question, too, and I'm glad you called it out in the plot summary there, Irina, about Latin. What is it you think about Satan that, like, when he got to Latin, said, you know what, this is it? <laughs> we'll just stay here.
2: It's probably one of the older known languages that, you know, they could throw in this movie and say, okay, maybe somebody will friggin' understand this shit. if it wasn't Latin,
0: what was it going to be? Aramaic? Yeah, right. I mean, something that you
1: can't do. I mean, I I always love that trope in the, the Satan movie or whatever the hell thing it, we have to go to a language that no one knows except like the old priest or some (laughs) random, you know, dude, the doctor in this case, Uh, because yes, of course he would know it because doctors, you know, in fairness,
2: they could have spoken Klingon and it would have been just effective.
1: Yeah, maybe (laughs) so. I mean, for, for what they do here, uh, it, it is something that's a good plot summary though, Irina. And I think the, but, you know, again, I, I called it out earlier that I think Alien definitely influenced this movie. And it came out afterward, but I think uh, something that borrows from this in a lot of ways is there's a little bit of what The Matrix is about. It, it's sort of buried in some of this stuff. There's some of that...
2: Uh, that maybe be just because it's Lawrence Fishburne. No,
1: no, no. I don't think it's Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> I think it's, it's honestly in, a lot of it in the way it looks. I think the Wachowskis looked at the production design here and mm. said, you know what, that that kind of dark green and black space thing is cool. And we should do that again, which of course, you know, that's Ridley Scott in 79 too with alien. But I did find that, that neat because again, for this movie being a a failure at the box office, it certainly has had its cult status and people do still watch it. I mean, it's 23 years old. We're talking about it now and you know, it's, it still works. and still looks good for the most part. And that's what I found. Most intriguing about it. And, you know, they throw us right into it, too. And we, we get the little opening crawl. And that's the thing I noticed when I was when I was watching this was all the little across the screens. I was like, oh, that's mm. that's James Cameron. Somebody borrowed that.
2: I do have to say that one of the, my favorite things about this is Sam Neill, but that's because I'll watch Sam Neill in anything. Um, there was that, that Snow White movie that he did with Sigourney Weaver, that horror movie. I freaking love that shit, and I will watch that all day long. Um, it it, it might have just been the combination of Fishburne and Neil that made me kind of go, "Ooh, I need this.
0: Yeah, they're fantastic, and it's it's hilarious that you brought up the Matrix because to me, there's just a couple of lines throughout the movie with Larry Fishburne. This is only two years before the Matrix, yeah. right? So it's very likely that he was already in talks to be in that and had already started reading Morpheus and was really thinking about it. But some of the readings are just absolutely dead-on Morpheus reads, and I, and I don't know, I, you know, if that's Larry Fishburne again, just doing his thing because. I grew up with him as Cowboy Curtis. You know, I've said that to you a couple of times today. Cowboy Curtis on Pee Wee's Playhouse, man. That was Lawrence fucking Fishburne.
2: Are you shitting me? Because I didn't know that and I've never, ever seen it. Like you've been sending us that message all day and I had no fucking clue what you were talking about. Dead I serious.
1: Think, yeah, even I knew that. I think the other thing that I that I took right from the opening, because Sam Neil wakes up and he's, he's shaving, and I wrote down, I was like, it's 2047, and yet we're still using straight razors. Like, we haven't right. figured out, <laughs> we, we can do interstellar travel, but we still have to pull an actual blade across my face to get rid of my, my <laughs> facial hair.
2: Do not lie, there is nothing like having a straight razor shave. Oh no. There's no man who will say that there isn't anything like Oh no, that.
1: it's it's, it's amazing. amazing. <laughs> I'm just blown away that we don't have anything cool. <laughs>
0: you know. So. I don't know. My only reference with a straight razor is Sweeney Todd, so I'm like, hey, that's all right, that's all right.
2: It's it's a great weapon. I mean, why not carry around a straight razor? My my
1: father used to warn me about women that he called razor-toting women, and that's what he was referring to—is one that kept them down in their purse or down in their (laughs) their boots or whatever. Um, So yeah, so but I know you know the ship design though is really cool here, and I really like that they lean into the idea of the used future. You know, everything's not pristine, it's not gorgeous, it's functional. Right, and they do bother to explain like why this is built this way, all of this, and there is some really cool design stuff that Paul W. Sanderson and his group are putting together here. Because there's this, I mean, there's these religious overtones throughout the whole movie, anyway. But like a lot of the the centerpieces in the different rooms that they wind up in look like pedestals and cathedrals and all this stuff. The big engine room looks like a huge cathedral meets I don't know a spinning ball of spikes for some reason you know there's it, like i don't know why the engine is so dangerous but you know
2: but it, i do have to I, I have to agree that the interior architecture of this this ship is beautiful but when you zoom out and you see the whole thing by itself it just looks like a cock and balls and i am so <laughs> sorry but that is what it looks like it looks like a big space penis with very small testicles.
0: But when actually, if if you think about it, and you think about the interior and what you see there, it, it mimics the stonework of a Gothic cathedral. And when it does pull 100%. out to show you the cock and balls, it is in the shape of a cathedral. You know, it has the cross shape. If you actually, when you pull out from it, you know, it actually <laughs> looks like a fucking cathedral. And I didn't really think about that, you know, my the first couple of times I watched it, but then sitting there going, man, why the hell, in a spaceship, would you have, you know, like, little tiny slits of windows and what look like mason stones? Yeah. Like, what purpose does that serve on the interior of a ship? Other
1: than Except looking that cool? It was, that, right? Like, what? it
0: has no rule,
1: like... Reason to be there other than it looks cool, and the only thing I can think of is anytime people talk about like the impracticality of the way things are built i 'm like well, first off it 's in the future, so we 're not worried about stuff like we are on the space shuttle right now and two if you're if you can do faster than light speed or whatever you don 't give a damn how heavy anything is anymore you know, like,
2: you know, well, you just move hold on. on, we have to go back though, and we haven 't even like started diving into this. But the, the rationale behind why it would look like a cathedral is because this is Weir's work. This yeah. is Sam Neill's character's work. This is his goddess, you know, um, and when we delve into this story a little bit more, um, he worships it because he's lost his wife.
1: Yeah, he has some hella dreams about his wife. Like, yeah,
2: those are fucked yeah,
1: up. Yeah, I mean, she shows up with no eyes, half naked, always wet.
2: She is not half naked. So, she is completely.
0: Uh, half naked. she's got panties on, man. Come on.
2: Well, Fine, no,
0: I'm just, I'm just <laughs> fine. saying. That was, I couldn't
2: see them. Well, I have that a was question. my thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you know why are you in the why are you in the bathtub with your panties on? <laughs> like who who fucking that shit? But topless, like come on, it's not a swimming pool. I don't
1: understand what happened. To his wife. Did she kill herself? Because he was so obsessed with his work. Is that okay? I have missed that all these years. And so he is obsessed with this. With the Event Horizon in particular, because he invented this gravity drive thing. And it's one of the the first things after they wake everybody up, he has to explain the big plot device. you know. And I called him Dr. Exposition, because he does this in all the movies <clears throat> he's in, where he's playing some sort of authority figure. But I loved his little analogy, and I've seen it used in other things, too, where he takes the Playboy centerfold in half and pokes the two holes through it. It's like, the fastest distance is to close the distance between the holes. And I, I like the... Layman's way that he has to get that out because it's because the crew has no idea what the hell he's talking about. And that's the fun part is Lawrence Fishman is like, English, no, really, English, please. Like, everybody's giving him the hell for it. And that's what he comes up with to describe it.
2: It was effective and amusing at the same time. So they set the tone as this is not going to be such a serious flick. Like, yeah. it, it starts out with these little comedy moments and you go, OK, so where are we going with this? We're playing around, but it, it goes back to like some of the opening scenes in Aliens where everybody's goofing around in the locker room when they come out of stasis.
1: Yeah, we're doing, you know, you can get from Earth to Neptune in six days being in water stasis. That's not bad. That's pretty, pretty, pretty good moving. I do love how that in the future, though, once again, we've invented all these great things, but we still are wearing cotton underwear in water tanks. That's a problem. OK,
2: like that's going to lead to issues. I don't care who you are. So that, that I don't know whether that's an insecurity thing or just because they couldn't create something else. <laughs> obviously,
1: this movie comes out a long time after Aliens. They're borrowing from that. But that's a trope that you've seen in a lot of movies. So no, no big deal. No harm, no foul on that. I think the whole point is that this crew are people who work together all the time. They know each other. They know each other's rhythm. And Weir is the one who's out of place. And so my question to you all is, he's obviously there on somebody's orders to go and investigate this and he's got his own ulterior motives involved too.
0: Well, obviously he's got a lot invested because like you said, this is his baby he's poured his life into this and quite likely lost his wife because of it. And it fucking up and disappeared. And that I think is one of the funniest things in, you know, the, the, the scrolling text that comes up at the beginning is it talks about how, you know, the, the event horizon went out to Neptune and it disappeared. And this is the worst space disaster in human history. Are you fucking serious? This is the worst thing that's happened? Because yeah. you're, you're mining on Mars and you've got people living on the moon, and the worst thing that happened was a ship with what, seven people on it disappeared. I'm like, that, uh, wow. I find that hard to believe. Well, I, I actually am going like, man, credit
1: to the space program. <laughs> <because> <laughs> that's, uh, I mean, no offense, we've had bad things happen in that because that's the risk you take when you're fighting all manner of physics and math to do these things. And for, for them to put that in there was like, oh, that didn't that didn't really play well. Because, you know, we have several shuttle disasters now and, you know, things that have happened. That's oh, it's kind of rough. That didn't?
0: Yeah, didn't age well. But it gives credence to the fact that, you know, somebody's got to go look into what the hell happened with this ship. Because there's a shit ton of money in this spiky ass gravity drive that he built, a gyroscope in space. Yes. You know, and <laughs> so, hey, we got to go.
2: I have to admit, I have my own conspiracy theories about Uh Lear and the whole... Like, Expedition and Lewis and Clark going out there. I have my own theories, but I'll save them for a little bit later when we get into this, really. Because we're just kind of, like, nibbling on the edges. So,
1: I want to talk about how, how when they do find the event horizon, the name of it is, like, 200 feet high on the outside. Just in case people in Neptune speak <laughs> English. You know, I mean, I got a real kick out of that. I was like, well, I mean, I know they put the name of the shuttle on the side of it, and they put the International Space Station name on it, but it's not... In huge block letters. Like they spent a million dollars just doing the E. You know what I mean? They're like, why? That seems like a design problem to me. I, I don't know. I, I just I thought it, it was, was for funny. the
2: visually impaired. It was the visually impaired. They wanted to make sure they could see it out in space. Because we
1: want Jory so, LaForge leading the exposition. Yes. That's they the idea. had
2: to be able to see it. Through the clouds in space that surrounded the whole fucking thing when you come up to that it. That is true.
1: There are now nebula clouds in space, which, I mean, Star Trek taught us that that could exist. So I'm, I'm okay.
2: These aren't even, like, nebula clouds. These are straight up fucking storm clouds, man. I don't, you're being nice. Well, I mean, it, it is the And this is one of my favorites.
0: It's the atmosphere of Neptune. And that's the funny shit is they're like, it's it is within the atmosphere. You know, and, but it doesn't seem to be a problem as the movie progresses because there ain't no fucking clouds anymore. It's just that <laughs> opening reveal is, you know, let's make this as dramatic as we can. How can we do that? It's around the fucking planet. But the, two, two Clouds!
1: Things. Clouds around the planet and a lot of timpani drums. And then, yes. and then that's what we have. And then when we're done with that shot, we'll just move on to something else because we've got to mm-hmm. spend money on, again, the most – Inconceivable piece of engineering I've seen in a sci-fi movie in a long time. Uh, When we finally get to see the engine that this guy's built, it's it's pretty freaking amazing. Like it it is a gyroscope made by the Cenobites from Hellraiser. Yes, I mean the whole room (laughs) is meant to kill you. It is it is Cerebro from Hell if you're an X Men fan.
0: Well, and even getting to it, getting to the damn thing, you have to walk through a fucking circus walkway that's spinning all around you meant to make you vomit.
2: Oh, my gosh.
0: And they don't tell you anything about what purpose that room serves. It's just there to make you uncomfortable and be like, you are on the way.
2: Is it there to make you vomit or is it hypnosis? I just want to put it out It's
1: supposed to be. They do drop a line. It's some kind of got to reduce the magnetic density as you're walking (laughs) into the core or some yada yada bullshit.
2: We're going (laughs) to mind fuck you now is really what it it is. Like you walk in here, you go back out. If mm -hmm. if you walk down there with your
1: keys, you are. Fucked. That is all I know. <laughs> like if you got buttons on your uniform or a zipper, I'm sorry. You're now Tattoos. part of the loose. Yeah. Anything, <laughs> right? Yeah, you're you're coming apart.
0: Yeah. It's Welcome to it's the- like an MRI. <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. <laughs> it, it is the MRI from hell, leading into the gyroscope from from hell. It is. It's really wild. Like I, I got this whole steampunk vibe off off of it too, and I don't know that that seemed to be a clash with a lot of the other dynamic that we had going here because we've called out the cathedral designs and the phallic symbolism and all that shit, but now we have <laughs> the steampunk stuff too, which is just like I said, it's a very different vibe.
0: Well, like spinning razor blades. So, again, it goes into that. Why? Who the hell would design this thing with so much danger around it? It's like, hey, man. Not only is that thing dangerous, the whole fucking room is dangerous.
1: Right, right, and they find uh, they do find the recording of the last moments of the Event Horizon, and I wrote down another note. It's 2047, and we're still using CDs. In 1997, I knew what an MP3 was. I was on Napster, so were all of you. So
2: I mean, we we with that. I was not yet. I'm just putting it out there. I was not. It's because you were a a baby.
0: It's it was a pure stack of stereos, man, left and right. Like, oh, look, how many different CD players do you need? And there's only the one. (laughs)
1: Yeah, right. And they, I love the. It's just all kinds of carnage. It reminds me of a disc I had that I used to play on my parents' porch for Halloween. That was just spooky noises of the dark, or something mm. like that. I mean,
2: tw- maybe in 2040 we go back in time and we start using CDs again. I mean, you know, at
0: least it wasn't a laser disc. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> they could have put a tape in. if they put a cart tape in, I'd yes. have been at home.
1: You know, that that would have been my radio days. But, but now I want to ask you, Irene, about one of your, your conspiracy theories, <laughs> Uh-oh. okay? Because I have a feeling that the reason this is all designed so funky is there's a reason for it but I want to hear your your thought.
2: My conspiracy theory is that Weir was one of the first on the crew and he went back to bring other people back to fuck up with them. And that's what the goal was to, to fuck them up, pardon me, but that was the his goal was to go back to continue feeding this thing interesting that he created interesting because that like who the hell would who's really going to send people back to to find this ship that's my anyway that's my theory and that's why he goes back like my whole theory is that he was there before and he was the only one that survived and he went back but nobody knows he went back and he just wanted to bring more people back to throw into this hole Because he wanted to know what it was. Or because he was already being controlled by the ship.
1: See, I thought this was just a real sci-fi horror, what dreams may come. And he's trying to get back to his wife. Like, I I thought he knew what... I believe you, he knows what happened. And he's not telling. So he's just trying to get back to her. And he thinks, if I can get out there closer again, I can bring her back. And if I have to sacrifice a few, you know, space truckers, who the hell cares?
2: (laughs) And maybe, maybe the ship you know, said, if you bring more back to me, then I'll let you go see your wife or some shit like that. Yeah, but, he was already I mean, seeing her. Come on. <laughs> Without her eyes. He wanted to see her with her eyes and maybe with clothes on for <laughs> once and not like in a tub full of blood. I don't
1: know. She was kind of hugging him with that toplessness action. I don't know that he
0: was going to turn that down. Maybe the eyes part of you. You know. Oh, oh. No, I
2: know. Maybe, maybe and then, can I
0: just say that was, I mean, Probably the worst special effect in the film was the eyes. Yeah.
2: Oh, they were terrible, and I wanted to kill people. <laughs> yes, like, I work with eyes, really? and that was an insult. So, <laughs> so wait. So, now we're on the ship, and we've got Baby Bear, who's one of the guys that's on the ship. Yeah, Justin. And yeah. Justin, yeah. So, he's the first one affected by this whole fucking thing. They all go down, they check it out. He gets... Like sucked in and spit out, right?
0: Yeah, he goes, he well, goes, Baba, real quick. Yeah. He's the bright one that's like, hey, what's this? Let me stick my finger. Hold
2: on, let me <laughs> think. Yeah. Think. Yeah. <laughs> so Justin gets goes in and then he gets sucked back out and then he's like sick and then all of a sudden, you know, because he's, you know, crazy and he's had like five seizures and, you know, all of a sudden he's trying to leave the airlock. And I have to jump to this part because there's something about it that bothers me. As Justin, is going into the airlock to, like, let himself out into space. We have this moment with Lawrence Fishburne's character where he's talking about, have you ever seen fire in space, right? And it's like waves. And then we get to this point where there's, like, fire and shit after Justin, and there's no fucking waves of fire. It's just, like, regular fire on Earth. Uh- and it drove me fucking I, crazy and I, I just I, had to say something I gotta like that.
1: tell you, I think I think that was a um, they were having a discussion in the production design and they realized you know how many fucking people know what goes on in fire in space no damn one just let it be fire and then that's yep, WSA pretty
2: much they was, pretty much said everybody who's gonna watch this movie is a fucking idiot right, like, Yeah. we're not, not gonna have
1: NASA uh, astronauts <laughs> watching this and if they do so what they already bought their ticket who cares
2: You know. I
0: mean, <laughs> it's not like nowadays when you've got people like uh, I read out uh, ain't it cool news and yeah. they've got the guy Copernicus who is a professor at UC Santa Barbara who watches all these science movies and is like, let me tell you how you fucked up the science on this one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson does not believe in the gravity drive. I could go ahead and tell
0: you
1: t- t- for, for sure. I, we got to talk about it too though that J- Justin loses his mind because he has what I call a sphere moment. And I know that movie's around well, the same time as this but the book yep. had been out for 10 years by the time this came out. And if you know anything about that story you go in the sphere and you basically open up your id into overdrive and it just sort of manifests all the shit that you're afraid of or that you don't, that you really want to say, but you don't, you know, because you're the other parts of your personality, keep it down. The movie does a terrible version of the book, does a better job of explaining it, but that's kind of what happens to everybody that once they get on this ship, they are now all in control of whatever in the hell world that they have created inside of it. They they are, they're seeing manifestations of stuff, you know, Peter's, the Kathleen Quinlan character has a son who's got injuries and things like that. And so she sees these horrible visions of him and his legs are all busted up and just, you know, oh. mommy, let me out of the blue cage and all this other crazy shit. And you can tell, like, everybody here is having some sort of a freak out around the thing they're most afraid of. And that's what this ship does is it it manifests your fears so that you turn on each other and you slaughter each other. At least that's kind of what I took happened to the first crew.
0: Yeah, which brings an interesting question for me, at least, you know, going back and watching it again it was like, everybody sees something, right? You've got Lawrence Fishburne who sees, you know, the guy that caught on fire. Mm-hmm. You've got baby bear who's seen it all, right? He went in there and he's seen everything and he's fucked up. Peters is seeing her kid. What about Stark? Does, am I crazy or Stark doesn't see anything? She's the only one that's not affected. And when shit's going down, like what happened to her? Is she it's the one? Not just her.
2: What's his face doesn't see anything either, does he?
0: But he's outside the ship.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah, there, there's warrior.
0: other guys that don't. But once
2: them. he comes in, he doesn't see anything.
0: Yeah, there's there's
1: other ones that don't. Eat, like Cooper doesn't really see anything. Uh, DJ, the doctor doesn't see anything. But it's the ones that have something the, the to trauma. lose. Right. Like I think it's the ones that have something to lose. Like I think the the thing you get from Stark is that. She is, this is her career and this is all she is. This is all she's got. You know, that's why she's willing to jump out of her wet clothes and just go fly the ship. You know, because this is what she does. Everybody else has a past or a bad memory or something. I also chalk it up to the fact that Paul W. Sanderson was very clear that he did not want this movie to be too long. And if we do every, we got too many people here. If we do everybody's fear, this is going to be two and a half hours long and (laughs) nobody's going to listen. So, or, or watch. So, I mean, they they did gloss over some of the people for sure, but I do, I do like um, these other characters that, that kind of circle around all this stuff because uh, Cooper is one of the maintenance guys, and he's always trying to hit on Stark in just the most machismo, most stupid way, and she just throws it right back. in. I got very much like a, a Vasquez and um, uh, Bill Paxton's character and aliens vibe off of the two of them, Irina, the way that they went at each other.
2: It's one of my favorite like re- relationships to to focus on. They're they're always fun, whether they're I mean they're inappropriate, but they're fun. And it makes it okay. <laughs> At least for me, maybe not for everybody else in the world, but it makes it okay. for
1: I me. I give her credit though, for being the kind of woman that doesn't take any of the bullshit. Like that's the fun thing is she gives it just as good as she gets it from them and, and doesn't care. And she's clearly is very capable. I mean, obviously, uh, Captain Miller, Larry Fishberg, trusts her. I mean, with everything, because she's she's running that ship, she's flying that thing. While he's around, uh, it's I don't know. It's it's neat to to watch them all kind of go crazy, a piece at a time. And that's what you you start to realize, like there's more here than what the doctors let them on at. And this this all happens after Justin tries to let himself out the airlock. And I will say that the effects there look a little dated, but it is still pretty cool. They spend a lot of time on him decompressing and basically exploding. Hey, I mean, it's pretty rough. It
2: was world. The world's better than what they did in Total Recall, the original Total Recall, which I friggin' love that movie. But, oh, my God, his eyes were not popping out of his head going. T- two oh, weeks.
0: Verhoeven was T- more two, about. Two weeks. <laughs> T- two
2: weeks. <laughs> right. Right, right, right. But, I mean, like the whole theory of like going from head to toe in regards to the way his body c- like
1: mm-hmm.
2: compressed or decompressed or. What is that term? Decompression. 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 Um, I mean, it was believable yeah. in comparison to other movies, and you know, I've I've never seen one somebody you know just out in space without a spacesuit on. So, I mean, who am I to know what really happens out there?
1: We do get a lot of the the blood flying around. I mean, Larry Fishburne saves him by firing so off his blood. rocket boots and kicking him right back into the airlock, which is cool. I mean, he's pretty screwed up. Like I'm looking at him on the ground there and I'm like, yeah, his insides are jelly. He's pretty much useless now
2: at this point.
0: Like, I don't know if this guy's going to live.
2: Well, and it, I got to give that actor credit though. He was great.
0: Yes. And I, I thought it was interesting because you do see a little bit of a flip of his character because he walks to that airlock and makes the decision to blow his ass out the airlock mm-hmm. with so much calm. And he's talking, he's like, you, you don't know what's in there. I mean, it's the darkness. It's coming. It's coming for us. And then the moment he hits the airlock and the alarms go off, all of a sudden he's a little baby boy again. And he's screaming like, what did I do? Oh, God, please save me.
2: What's he happening? He has his oh, fuck moment.
0: Exactly. <laughs> well, and it's, you know, did the ship let go of him at that point and say, all right, haha, ha, you've done it. There's no getting you back now, sucker.
2: Well, it, yeah, we don't know what kind of power the ship had at that point, whether it was like, OK, well, he did it on. He did it now. So um, I'm just going to go on lockdown and leave it that way.
1: Right, and then that's when we get deeper into the recordings and stuff. And DJs found the the deep secret recording, and they they've uncoded a little bit of this Latin going on in the background. And he's said ah, that save yourself, save yourself from something. Yeah, exactly. But then he, then he just, and, and <coughs> the only the way Jason Isaacs can do in this incredibly over serious way in front of over serious Larry Fishburne, save yourself from hell. You <laughs> know, and, it's it's, and the music's like dun dun dun. I swear there was like a lightning bolt in the background. <laughs> <laughs> to accent now
2: remember all right. remember first they think it's save yourself. Yes. Or no, no, first they say, think it's save me. So they're thinking, okay, who do we have to save? And then he goes back and listens to it and he goes, so, like, I fucked up Liberate my translation terni- and, <laughs> and um, like, save yourself from hell is really the translation. <laughs> Chris,
1: got the voice down, too, by the way. Liberate
2: that man can do terni- anything.
0: Terni- ex- terni- <laughs> <laughs> it yes. killed me. It's just like, all right, so we've got Garth- gothic architecture. We've got possession. We've got Latin. I'm watching The Exorcist. Oh, yeah. In space, baby. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like
1: Jason 10. Yes, it's almost as weird as the the plot of Exorcist 2, if you've ever
0: seen Oh my that. God. I got friends in that movie. That movie is bizarre.
1: <laughs> All you need is James Earl Jones Kakumo on the side. <laughs> it would be it would be complete. Oh. Uh, but this is when you realize like everything's going to hell. So uh, Literally. uh Peters and Stark un undercover the video of the crew basically tearing themselves apart. Um, which is, you know, yeah, We, I guess we needed to see what we heard. So there we go. Yeah, there's the, that arm floating and all that other crap.
2: Oh my gosh, so many things floating, so many things <laughs> splattering yes. and like Splitting. faces cut up and eyeballs torn out in somebody's hands being held out to you. Like, yes. Oh! Yeah, the
1: captain tears his own eyes out, which is foreshadowed. You know, that's coming down the line somewhere. And so, of course, uh, large Fishburne's like, we're getting the hell out of here. <laughs> let's go. Let's get this leave. We're we're done. But Peters, of course, gets distracted by more visions of her son, who goes down, running down the uh, spinning hallway of doom into the uh, engine room, and she uh, is killed in a rather graphic fall. And I'm like, oh, poor Kathleen Quinlan. This is the end of you. Oh my gosh. She
0: sees. She gets to see her own death in front of her eyes. It just flashes in that quick instance of her falling down through there. And it blew me away because It seemed like the first time she sees her son, but that first vision, she's like, oh, no, fuck that. That ain't real. I'm out. But then later when she sees him, she chases him. Like, she's finally, like, the one who was so smart about the visions now is like, uh, why is there a little kid down there with that spinning demon device?
2: The thing that kills me about her is everything. Um, The flashbacks make me want to vomit that poor child. And then not only does she die, but... Her whole leg is split open, so she's got injuries like her kid did in the flashbacks, which, oh, my God, why? I didn't need to go back there. And
0: Demon Weir has a heart Yeah. for all of, like, a minute. He walks in there. He's like, ah, I'm going to come get this thing, and we're going back to hell.
2: Oh, Peters.
0: Oh, and so he worried. runs to her, like, <laughs> oh, what's... You're broken into little bitty bits,
1: yeah, that's when <laughs> this guy realize he is completely off the reservation, and that's when he sees his wife again and the the vision of how she killed herself, and that's when he decides, you know, I'm tired of my eyes, and and
2: <laughs> I'm just i going to take him out't seen know. enough
1: <laughs> so he does the Alec Baldwin and Beetlejuice, and that's it, so he, <laughs> he just, you know he pulls them out. And that's when you know, like, oh, he's he's gone bye-bye. So, again, back to Irina and your theories, this actually lends, lends credence to the idea that he's been there, he's brought everybody back for his own purposes, and now it's time to pay the piper for, you know, opening up the door again.
2: Hey, you know what? This is a great moment for me to remind you a song lyric. I have a theory that it's a demon. <laughs> and if you don't know, Jay loves Buffy yes. like nothing else on this earth. So I had to go back yes. to you once more with healing. <laughs> but, you know, like the way that these characters die. I mean, let's go talk about DJ's death. Oh, oh, yeah, when we're vivisex him, uh, Hannibal Lecter style. Oh, my style. God. Holy 30 shit. seconds. He's literally there for 30 seconds, and then all of a sudden, he's disemboweled and hanging from the wall by hooks. I, I was yeah, sitting there going, Hannibal like,
0: Lecter.
1: are you ready, Sergeant <sighs> Pembry? <laughs> because that is just a weird moment. Is,
0: that's, that's the Cenobites right there, yes. man. I think that's a little bit of Clive Barker influence because, that, I mean, it, it's gruesome. And it, not only is he vivisected and hanging from hooks, but his entrails are hanging out on the med lab table beneath him.
2: And, and aren't they? Are they laid out anatomically, or are they just a pile? It looked like remember. just a
0: pile. I mean, it's a pretty oh, okay. quick a pretty quick shot and it I mean it was something again when we talk about the ship itself and the danger in the ship is that not the most dangerous looking medbay you've ever seen yes so when you first see it you're right? like whoa what the hell is this place and they're like oh it's, it's medbay
2: uh, the bridge where they, there's like webbed flesh and blood like stuck to the yes. wall like like literally like Freaking spiderweb cocoons, and there, there's another Aliens moment. Like, it's the same shit on the wall, only red. we about
1: the reason they're flying the Event Horizon around is the gravity drive fired earlier because Weir started it up, we find out, and it blew up the Lewis and Clark, or it damaged it enough, and then Weir has set all these explosives on the Lewis and Clark. I got a lot of questions about the amount of explosives that are on these ships, by the way. It's like, <laughs> now, don't forget to build in the random self-destruct functions. Because everybody will want that, especially on the LX model.
0: Well, remember, they they had to have a lifeboat in case something happened to this black hole gravity drive. It creates a singularity. So, like, shit's going to go wrong. So, obviously, we need a way to get away from that. Right. But then, you know, the logic and the science comes in, like, well, if that were to happen... It doesn't matter how big that explosion is; you're not going to get away.
1: Yeah, the the uh, the, <laughs> the door closing is not going to save you on that one. I'm sorry. Bye bye. So yeah, that's that's not going to help. the The big bad wolf is blowing already, and it's, it's not going to do any good, little pig. But yeah, the, we we have all these explosions, and all this shit going down. They're trying to fly the the gruesome ship out of there now. Uh, the possessed weir has blown everything up. He kills poor Smitty uh, because he hid one of the the depth charges or whatever in there. I hate to see that poor guy go because he just really did not want to be there. He was very much the Dante of clerks. He wasn't even supposed to be there. He didn't want to be there. And he gets his face blown off for it. I love how Cooper gets blown out into space, though. Some really good effects there. And <laughs> and the way he decides, like, okay, I got just enough oxygen to blow myself back to the other ship. My And I'm like, okay, I get that. But then what? <laughs> like, what is
2: your plan? <laughs> what about this is a good idea, Coop? What is a good idea? So, um, I do want to go to a special effect that happens before Cooper gets back. Maybe, not, maybe it's a makeup effect. But can we talk about we're in the captain's chair and the way they do... Did his movements so he literally looked like a claymation doll whenever (laughs) he was getting hit in the face. Because there was something about that that was not right. Because now he's bald. He's bald. He has no eyes. And somehow he has managed to stitch them shut after killing DJ. And then he's got like, his whole skin is like cracked like clay. I still don't understand all of that. But the way that this, this... Thing that's supposed to be him moves. And by the way, he's naked, but he does not have a penis. He's like a fucking Kendall now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there, there are some <laughs> things where you see that, right? So when, when he kills DJ in that 30-second you know, or three-second vivisection, the last thing he grabs is a suture and a needle. But you don't see him stitch himself up. Um, but I, it's interesting because all the cuts on his face when you see him in the captain's chair, I think in that quick orgiastic video that we saw earlier... There's someone with, like, uh, what is it, uh, barbed wire that's wrapping it around their skin and they're cinching it tight. So it's mimicking what we saw there. How the fuck he did it? Uh, and, you know, he must oh. use a scalpel because he doesn't have yeah. barbed wire down there.
1: I, I took it as he was just in full Cenobite land at that point. I mean, really, nah. this movie has become a Hellraiser movie uh, at this point, <laughs> the third act. And and <laughs> look, there was a Hellraiser that was in space, and it's not nearly as good as this. So it, you know, so a fault of improved that uh, by a factor of eight. So, yeah, it's it's. Full bonkers at this point, this this movie. And it's actually when the movie won me back, because I'm not going to lie. During the second act of this, I started to go like, oh, man, this is just cheap-ass bullshit you know what it does slow down it, it, it for a does little bit it too. drags like hell and then and that's why i'm like there should everybody's clamoring like get the unused footage back i'm like this movie did not need to be longer i promise you and when it <laughs> <when they laughs> gets to the third act and all of it goes literally to hell is when this movie improves dramatically like it is so much fun now everyone in it all of these actors. Capable of incredibly deep emotional performances and comedic performances too, and good action stuff. (laughs) And they decide we are going to ham this motherfucker up like nobody's business. And they totally cheese this thing to death. And that's what makes it so much more fun because. Weir starts to give an exposition to Stark before he is going to do vivisection to her, we assume, about how the Event Horizon found this place of pure evil and chaos. And the ship is indeed now that place come to life.
0: And he transforms himself, right? We get into that kind of that clay look that you were talking about. All of a sudden, motherfucker's got his eyes back. Yeah, (laughs) And he's got broken skin and naked Barbie man, you know.
2: Yeah, where did his eyes come from? Oh wait, no wait. So he burned up, and then the ship brought me back.
1: Yeah, yeah, he yeah he blows yes. up in the explosion because they split the ship in half with an explosion. We've already talked about that, but he's still you know, living through part of that. Like amazingly, he survives that and has been brought back to do the vengeance of the ship or something. I don't know the hell place. Who, who knows? Maybe it is about sacrifices.
0: Maybe lends credence to Irina's conspiracy theory that you know he. Not only is he the first one, but he is the ship. At that
2: point, ooh, I like that even better. Yeah,
0: I, th- I think
1: you're you're onto something there, Irina. I think you've, you've nailed it too, Chris. I mean, he he is definitely back, and that's when Cooper shows up as he's about to kill, you know, right as as uh, Weir's about to kill everybody. And in and in again, some of this movie only really works because me, people make the stupidest decision they possibly can at the right moment. <laughs> and Cooper made the dumb he's, decision to I'm just going to fly all my oxygen out and land on the window, and hopefully somebody will let me in. <laughs> hope I get the right part of the ship, and then. Weir decides, I'm going to shoot this gun at that window. <laughs> so,
0: oh, God. Because that always works well. Well, and can I just say that 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 exact moment that, that Cooper has out there on that broken-ass piece of the Lewis and Clark was stolen straight up and reproduced. And it, it took me a while. I'm sitting there like, where the hell have I seen this before? Lost in space. The new Lost in Space has that yes. exact same fucking scene but now with two people because you got to make it better of course I mean it let's use up all our oxygen and fly out in the middle of space
1: and hope we land where we want to yep because you can so control yourself in a
0: weightless airless
1: environment. <laughs> So you're so much more aerodynamic without the actual air part of the dynamic. But, yeah. And it's a shame his,
0: uh, his cool whip and nail gun did not fix their poor little ship.
1: It did not. It did not. Yeah. But, you know, he did fix it for a while. But, yeah, that, that's when Weir gets, you know, sucked out and then comes back as his, you know, mm-hmm. even more demonic Yeah, so he
2: comes, he comes back into the, 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 where the gravity thing yeah. is. The- he,
1: he, like, reimagines or reappears there. And so I, I just I can only in my head say that is where hell has set up camp is around that Gravitron. Well,
2: so then, but then we also have the question, did the ship actually bring him back, or is he now Lawrence Fishburne's character's biggest fear? And is that why he shows up again?
0: Because he does show up as the crewman that burnt up. Yeah.
2: He and shows up as the crewman that burnt yeah. up, and then Lawrence Fishburne is able to grab the detonator and blow the bridge between the front of the ship and the back end of the ship. So like, you know, there's so many different ways you can interpret everything that goes on in it, which is really funny for a movie that flopped. Um but I mean, you know, we don't I think that they leave those questions up to us as the the viewer to kind of say, "Okay, where's where, where's the twist here?" Because it very well could be this is his new field. I think
1: you've hit on it is that where is now the ship? Or the the manifestation of what the ship can do and all of that—it's its envoy, whatever you want to say. And yes, he does manifest Captain Miller's worst fear. But Miller, being the strong-willed person he is, sees right through it. And Larry Fishburne, being the cool dude he is, is like, Mm-mm, and grabs the detonator, <laughs> blows the back of the ship out, so Cooper and Stark escape in the front part. Because they're still alive, and that takes everything back into oh, and, Justin's and Justin still in and there. And Justin, yeah. yes, Justin is he's in, in space. They yeah. still there. Yeah, well, I forgot. Yeah, well, you know, well, Justin nearly crushes himself to death in zero gravity, and then we throw him in a tank. So you kind of forget <laughs> him until the very end, and they tell him <laughs> goodnight. You know, I'm like, this this guy's dead, y'all. You're just, I hope you have. Yeah, great, we don't
2: know what's going to happen. I hope there. you have
1: great space hospitals wherever you're taking him.
2: <laughs> he's
1: going to need a lot of therapy, uh, not only physical, but otherwise. But yeah, I, I do I do love that. And then uh, we we have all of the that I mean, that's the end of it really. And evil weir, of course, is still talking or was still talking smack right up to the very end. I gotta say the explosions are really good. Like again, that's that's part of that marriage of CGI and practical effects that I just miss sometimes nowadays. And this was right in the cusp when we were making that jump over, you know. I mean, two years later would be the Phantom Menace, and that became, you know, the thing everybody did for a decade and a half.
0: Oh, and the practical set. You know, the set for this thing was absolutely fucking enormous because, as they said, we wanted to build a place that you could walk around in for days and not run into somebody else. You know, and that was a really big thing. And they they took over something like six, between six and nine different studios or or, uh, sound stages, rather, to build the event horizon. And I think that's incredible because that that really lets everyone in the audience get immersed into the world as well.
2: You guys are better than I am. I never actually delve into all those little trivia things. So I'm really happy that you brought that up because there is something to be said about a set that you can visualize touching. Um, there's so many things like now when we watch some of the Marvel movies, like you look at it and you're like, I mm, know that's not real. And with this one, there was that definitive tactile ability, tactile visual
1: yeah, it looked like a real thing. In the
2: depth and I mean, the design. Yeah, and yeah. I mean,
1: when you talk about how many different sound stages they took up building this thing, it's amazing. Nowadays, it'd be like a stage and a half and it would all be green. And, and I mean, and some of that mm-hmm. stuff can work. Again, I'm not, I'm not dogging those. I like those movies too, but there is just something cool about the way that that looks and that it pulls off. And I mean, for, again, for a movie that had a $60 million budget, that's a lot of money in any time, but, for a movie with this kind of expanse, it's really not. I mean, and you've got some, you know, some of these actors are getting paid. Larry Fishburne and Sam Neill got some dough for being in this thing. And, Maybe nobody else really did, but they certainly did. And I mean, I mean, they were the kind of actors that wouldn't get paid on that sort of scale that those guys would, but they could command that salary. Like, yes, I will do your horrible piece of sci fi shit if there's a couple extra zeros on the end of (laughs) it. And that's that's what they do. But to to also be able to have the money and the artistry to pull that off in the effect is cool. And so I want to ask you though, what about that last scare? Because you know we have to wake up with the the salvage crew that's meeting them, and Stark wakes up and she's like, oh thank God you're here, and the ass comes up and of course it's evil weir and then no she just wakes up and she's having a nightmare i'm like that that almost felt a little cheat
2: it was a little cheesy but her acting in that situation was actually really good
0: i agree and i i think you know is it that they were thinking you know this is an early kind of tentpole idea Like, we're going to try to set this up for maybe a sequel. Like, is there something else that we can do with this if it makes any bit of money? Which, unfortunately, it didn't. You know, (laughs) it totally flopped in the (laughs) box office. And, you know, you think about it in today's mindset, it was the stinger, right? Yeah. That's the mid-credit stinger of here we're setting up the next piece and we're going to go somewhere else for this because we know we spent a ton of money on this. We've made it look great. And everyone's going to love this. How can you not love Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne? in space and you know, exorcist in space <laughs> yeah. and it just didn't do what They wanted it to do, you know, and it's, but it leaves the viewer with that thought of, well, shit, did they bring it back with them? Even if it's just in their mind and it can start infecting others just through them. Or was it just, a, you know, I'm having a bad dream, you know, coming out of that as Weir did when he came out of stasis, you know, on the Lewis and Clark at, at Neptune, right? Cause that's when he saw his wife in the, in the
1: bathtub. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. It is the bookend. We we bookend the movie with the same scare just on a different character. And mm-hmm. it does leave you But that's a great question. I never thought of it like that with Chris. Of, are they bringing it back with them? And will this manifest again? Or maybe you just look at it and it's like Cooper's the only one of these people that got out of it. And he had some horrible <laughs> shit that happened to him. But, you know, maybe he loses all the oxygen in space. He forgot it. I don't know. Uh, but uh, you know, Justin's pretty well jelly, and how it looks like poor Stark is is gone. <laughs> well,
0: it's I I think it's amazing that we've talked about how how great this tactile set was, and the money that they spent on the effects, and the the ships, and all that. And we've we didn't mention the the very first thing that I think puts you into a disoriented state is that shot coming away from I, what I'm guessing is. You know, an expanded space station in Earth orbit, which is drawing back from it and slowly spinning. And if you're like me and you get motion sickness, even again here, you know, in 2020, I'm watching that going, oh, I'm not feeling so good. When is this (laughs) going to stop spinning? And that was a third of their visual effects budget was that one shot.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: Like they, they blew it on that shot. And then everything else, you're like, eh. But if it's supposed to make why you unsettled,
1: which obviously it did, did. <laughs> then it worked. So, yeah, it's, that's why you blow it on those uh, those good things. So.
2: They, they, You know what? They blew it in marketing, too, because if they had just done Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne in space, they probably would have gotten more people to the box office. Yeah, whoever cut the trailer for this didn't know what
1: the hell they were doing. The trailer for this sucks. Like, I, It wasn't, yes. wasn't the reason I went and saw the movie, that's for sure. And then watching it again for this, I was like, oh, yeah, that's bad. <laughs> like, no yeah. wonder that didn't sell. So, like, well, okay. Okay, somebody at the studio, jacked that up. So, I mean, they were running up against the deadline to try to get this out. I mean, they were literally cutting it two days
0: before it hit the
1: theater. So, they were
0: in a world <laughs> where you can be possessed by a lost spaceship because <laughs> it did still have that right. That yep. was still that movie voice was in yep. the trailer.
1: Yep, probably Don LaFontaine um, himself doing. Which that. we've lost.
0: Yeah, yeah, I we, do miss those. Yeah, we don't do those
1: anymore. But uh, yeah, without, you know, you can blame Christopher Nolan and Inception for that. Because after that, we yeah. stopped doing those. We got those damn horns. And then that's, that's all we <laughs> have for 10 years. Well, folks, we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So what are yours for Event Horizon?
0: Chris? My final thoughts. I You know what? I loved the movie back when it came out in 1997. I still really fucking enjoyed this film in 2020. I watched it. You know, coming up to this, you know never having had to talk about a a, a movie in a way that people have to listen to me. Fuck's sake. Um, (laughs) I watched it twice through because I wanted to make sure that, you know, I watched it once for the entertainment value and once with more of a critical eye. And I really enjoyed it. I think it still works. I think there's a lot there. I'd be curious to see them make a similar film today, you know, and what they might do with something like stagecraft, That they're using on, you know, Mandalorian and some of these other films with the digital, the full-on digital backgrounds that look real, uh, photorealistic. But I, you know, I love it. And I did. I ate a whole fucking bag of popcorn watching this both times. I would say mine's XL, baby.
2: Man, he's easy. So I'm going to confess that this time watching this movie in 2020, I bought it. (laughs) So that I didn't have to rent it again or borrow it or beg and steal and all that kind of stuff. So uh, for a movie that I watch once, maybe twice a year, I'm still going to just give it a medium, but we know how I am. It's a medium with cheese. And I like cheese and I like a little black pepper on my popcorn sometimes. So just to make it a little bit spicy and exciting. Um, So a medium with with with. Shredded cheese and a sprinkle of pepper, because that's how I'm going to go with it. Because I'll go back and watch it again this year. Um, I'm going to watch it probably in the next couple weeks, just because it's going to be on my mind. So medium with shredded cheese and a little black pepper.
1: Ain't nothing shredded about the cheese in this movie, I'm going to tell you right now. It's the whole (laughs) hawking piece of it, all right? It really is. And that's okay, because like I said before... Somewhere in the second act, this movie started to fade for me. And I'm like, Ugh, okay. Now, so it's not bad enough to be small popcorn. It's not a complete abject failure. All right. But it's, it was living in medium popcorn territory. Like, you could have been so great. You could have been a contender, but you suck. You know, and he started <laughs> messing up. And then that third act kicks in. And I will say again, Paul W.S. Anderson makes the best Hellraiser movie that's been made since the second one in the third act of this movie. And it totally rescues it because our two leads go whole ham and it just becomes this insano factory of gore and scares and shit blowing up. It's everything that. 19-year-old me loved, you know, and that 13-year-old me probably loved too if I'd have been that (laughs) age when this came out, and that 41-year-old me still loves. It is fun. That's the thing about this movie is you going to watch this, you're not going to watch Interstellar or 2001 or hell, even 2010. You are going to watch Space Gore you know the the sequel and it is it's going to be hilarious and it is if you just let yourself go it is a lot of fun so this is large popcorn for me it's a total blast i now own this as well so it's, like, it's been a long time since i had watched it so i was like i gotta have this one in the collection because i gotta go back and do this and this is a hell of a movie to follow up thanksgiving with but that's what we're doing here on Film Strip, because that's how we roll <laughs>
2: i'm gonna i'm gonna digress here one of the things we didn't talk about with this together is the score that Michael Kamen did the score for this. He did Robin Hood, Prince of thieves, die, Hard, lethal weapon, lethal weapon mm. Mr. Holland's opus. He did all of these other great movies. The score for this was good. I just kind of want to put that out there so that we don't leave that sitting over there in the corner. No,
1: it's completely exactly <laughs> what this movie is supposed to be. Like I said, it, it is <laughs> completely cheese, <laughs> and that, but that's what this movie needed. I'm sure he was sitting there watching this going. Okay. So I just you know, ham it up with the synthesizers, but
0: which is funny for me because I was sitting there going, "Was there a score in this fucking movie? I don't remember." <laughs> like, it, and maybe that's because it fit in so well with everything that's going on. But I'm, I am one of those people that really, usually, notices the fucking score. Oh, they're manipulating my emotions again. Oh, fucking shit, well, trying to make well, me I, cry. Well. And here, I mean, it, it was the void. Of, yep. In certain places, of course, where they're going for some of those good jump scares.
1: It's good sound effects. I just effect. really didn't notice it. It's good sound effects mixed what? with good stings. And then the end credits are where he really shines because he and Paul W.S. <laughs> w. Anderson created a synth pop band <laughs> to do that that Daft Punk thing. Which I, I will, you know, I'm a sucker for that. I liked it. I was like, well, I didn't really feel like it fits, but okay. <laughs> We're gonna, I mean, might as well. I
2: think some Some of the things that are wonderful about the score is that we don't notice it's there so much. Mm -hmm. You don't always have to have some dramatic theme like um, Star Wars um, always has some main theme or Harry Potter or, or, you know, Marvel. Well,
1: you know, it it doesn't do the John Williams obvious thing too, like Jurassic Park. Like it's magical. It's wonderful. Love the dinosaurs. You know, all that shit either. (laughs) I mean, at least least (laughs) it didn't do that. I'm with Chris. I didn't notice it, but I knew it was there. And I think that's a testament to how good it was. It's just that, again, the, the Daft Punk song at the end, I'm like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> I guess that's where we decided to...
2: It was yeah. the right year for it. 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 it Come was. on now, they yes. were big. Yes. Around the World was big then.
0: Yes. It it took me back to like the, the early to mid-90s. There was a, a group out of Norway or Finland called Future Crew that was putting together electro-pop music just like that. And when it came on, I went, oh... There's the music. All right. Yeah, it's, it's very droll pop. That's <laughs> Roll exactly credits, right. baby. Yeah. Remember when YouTube decided to do that on a record? So, I mean, oh, it's
2: it's all. We're not going to talk about YouTube.
0: <laughs> Is that when they gave it to us for free, and everyone was like, "Fuck you"? No, that was the uh, the really bad album. A bunch of <laughs> r- droll. Uh, they didn't have characters. any good
2: ones. But
1: uh, obviously, it was a real blast talking to you both about this, Chris. Thanks for coming on Film Strip. Definitely have to come back on again.
0: Hell yeah. Thanks for having
1: me. It's been a lot of fun. Always is. Folks, you can find the archives in your podcast feed of this show or on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. Please leave us a positive review wherever you find the show. Follow the show's social media on Twitter and Instagram at Filmstrippod and search Filmstrip Podcast on Facebook to connect with us there. We appreciate your support.
0: Until next time, for Chris and Irina, I'm Jay. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip.